a few years ago, research from, from Vanderbilt University and the universities of Kentucky and Pittsburgh concluded that winning the lottery can actually increase your chances of going bankrupt. There have been plenty, plenty of anecdotal evidence of this with many well-known stories of lottery millionaires ending up in overwhelming debt just a few years after winning. But this research showed that these weren't kind of rare occasions, rare events. In fact, the researchers claimed that the chances of bankruptcy for lottery winners was actually double that of the general population. But I was even more surprised by an article in February's Wall Street Journal that claimed that winning the lottery doesn't only increase your chances of you going bankrupt, it actually increases the chances of your neighbours going bankrupt. It was based on research from the Federal Bank of Philadelphia that examined the relationship between lottery winners in a particular Canadian province and the number of bankruptcies in that area. And it found that the neighbours of winners are more likely to go bankrupt, and the larger that the lottery win, the, the greater the chance of bankruptcy in their neighbours' lives. And you ask, why? How did that work? Well, the researchers proposed that the answer is the old issue of trying to keep up the, with the Joneses. <laughs> that the more some people won in a community, the more that their neighbours spent on luxury items that they couldn't afford just to try and keep up sides with them. And that increased their level of debt and their chances of bankruptcy. It really just shows again, doesn't it, how deceptive materialism really is. And how much we are influenced by those around us. And I think it shows us why we need to be reminded of what Jesus says here in this next section of the Sermon on the Mount. If we are going to live the life that Jesus has called us to, then we need to resist the pressure of this world. And we need to be different in our treasure. We're going to read Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 and down to verse 24 uh, this morning. This wonderful passage from the, 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 the words of Jesus. So Matthew chapter 6 and verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve 
both God and money. In this passage, Jesus presents us with a clear choice between two options as to the direction and and ambition and goal of our lives. We can either seek earthly treasure or we can seek heavenly treasure. And clearly, Jesus does not want us to choose the first option. He says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. But what did Jesus mean by that? Does this mean that we shouldn't have any material possessions? That we shouldn't work hard or save for the future? That we should kind of opt out of the whole idea of owning anything in this world? Well, I don't believe that for a minute. The Bible never says it's wrong for us to have money or possessions or property. Now, of course, Jesus had no material wealth. He had no property. He could say in Matthew chapter 8, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And Jesus had to borrow a boat for a makeshift pulpit. He had to borrow a coin for an illustration. He had to borrow a donkey to ride into Jerusalem on. He had to borrow a room in which to celebrate the Passover with his disciples. And of course, as we've just remembered at Easter, he had to borrow a tomb in which to be buried. And Jesus did say to the rich young ruler, Go, sell everything you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. That was a specific challenge to someone caught up in materialism to leave behind the stuff that was holding them back from from leaving them all and and following Jesus. There wasn't a general command to all of his followers. In fact, many of Jesus' first followers were relatively wealthy. Joseph of Arimathea was a rich man and so he was able to provide a new tomb for Jesus' body. Luke tells us about Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the the manager of Herod's household, Susanna and many others. These women were helping to support them, that's Jesus and the disciples, out of their own means. So these women were relatively wealthy. They had money to provide for Jesus and the rest of the disciples. And Jesus often spent time in the home of, of Lazarus and Mary and Martha. Enjoying their hospitality as they would provide food for Jesus and all of his disciples. And Mary was able to anoint Jesus' feet with a perfume that was worth more than a year's salary. These followers of Jesus, they used, voluntarily used their possessions to bless the Lord and to serve him. But none of them were commanded by Jesus to give them all away. So Jesus isn't saying it's wrong for us to have a good job or to have a healthy bank account or to own possessions or to own property. Nor is it wrong to enjoy all those things. 
Paul writes to Timothy, God richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. It's right that we receive and that we benefit from and we celebrate and are grateful for all of these amazing gifts that God gives to us as our Heavenly Father. And nor is it wrong to save for the future. The book of Proverbs encourages us to follow in the example of the ant. This famous proverb, Proverbs 6 and 6, Go to the ant, you sluggard. wonder if you would like to be called you sluggard. Uh, go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. Why should we go to the ant? Well, because the ant prepares for the future. It stores up the food of the summer for the difficulty of the winter. It thinks ahead and prepares. And so it is wise, if possible, to save for the rainy days. To make provision for our retirement. And provide for our families. So if Jesus was not telling us that we shouldn't have any possessions, or it's wrong to save, or it's wrong to enjoy our stuff, if that's not what Jesus was saying, what did Jesus mean when he says, do not store up for yourselves earth treasures on earth. Well, this isn't so much about what we have as it is about our attitude to what we have. Jesus doesn't want us to make these earthly things our treasure. He doesn't want us to treat these material things as being of supreme importance in our lives. He doesn't want us to think of them as the greatest value for us. Luke 12 and 15, Jesus said this, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Jesus doesn't want us to go after wealth and possessions. He doesn't want us to make it our ambition in life to be rich or to get lots of stuff. He doesn't want our goal in life to be keeping up with other people and their possessions or what we have or what we wear or what we drive or what we spend. It is the pursuit of, the selfish accumulation of, the love of those earthly things that Jesus is warning against here. Instead, Jesus wants us to store up for ourselves treasure in heaven. So what does that mean? How can we store up for ourselves treasures in heaven? Well, of course, we know it's not about working our way into heaven. As if we could store up for ourselves righteousness into our account with God. We know we can't do that. We know that it's by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves, it's the gift of God. The only way to stand righteous before God is to accept that gift of his, his forgiveness and His love that was paid for in full by Jesus on the cross. 
And anyway, as we've been thinking about throughout the sermon, Jesus here in the Sermon on the Mount is speaking first and foremost to his disciples. People who have already put their faith and trust in Jesus. Who have already received his salvation. And when we put our trust in Jesus, our future is secure. So Paul writes to the church in Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 1. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possessions. If we have put our faith in Jesus this morning, then our membership of God's family has been sealed. Our place in heaven has been secured. And it's all because of God's amazing grace. Nothing to do with what we've done. So this isn't about working our way into heaven. But it's about living for what is valuable in heaven. If we have trusted in Jesus, then already our citizenship is in heaven. And Jesus wants us to live right here on earth with heaven's value system. He wants us to treasure what really matters there. Rather than treasure what matters to people here. This means that we are going to seek after God's priorities in our lives. We make it our ambition to grow in what God sees as important. Well, what does that include? Well, it includes developing a Christ-like character, doesn't it? Romans chapter 8, verse 29. Those God foreknew. He also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son. I think it simply means that God's plan is that we'll become more and more like Jesus. That's what he values in our life. That's God's ultimate plan for us. And it should be our treasure to become more and more like Jesus. This also includes growing in our faith in God, our hope in Him, and our love for Him. As Paul reminds us that although many things will disappear, these three remain. Faith, hope, and love. It's also about deepening in our knowledge of, in our relationship with God. Because Jesus said that's what eternal life is. This is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That's God's definition of eternal life. Living in relationship with Him. It also includes introducing people to Jesus. Encouraging them in their (coughs) discipleship. Giving ourselves to serving and living For the building up of his church. Because Jesus said that's his goal. I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And he's looking forward to that day when he welcomes it as his bride. 
pure and holy in His sight. And ultimately, storing up for ourselves treasures in heaven is about doing everything that we can for the glory of God. Because heaven is where God is honoured constantly. Where He is worshipped. Where praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honour and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. I think that's what storing up our treasures in heaven means. And is that what we are straining for in our lives? Is this our ultimate goal? Is this our greatest ambition? Is this what we treasure? In this passage, Jesus helps us to understand why this should be our treasure. He helps us to make that wise decision, not to store up earthly treasure, but to choose to store up heavenly treasure. And he gives us a couple of reasons for that. First of all, it's because earthly treasure doesn't last. Earth is where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. The world tries so hard to protect their possessions. And secure their investments. They polish and they paint. And they set up CTTV cameras. And alarm systems. And they insure and they indemnify. But if this recent worldwide recession has taught us anything. That has taught us that there is no such thing as a secure investment on earth. No bank or financial institution is too big to fail. And no individual can ever become so rich that they'll never have to face bankruptcy. Proverbs 23 and 5 Cast but a glance at riches and they are gone. For surely they will sprout wings and fly off into the sky like an eagle. In 2008, Ireland's richest person was a guy called Sean Quinn. He had an estimated net worth. I guess when you get that rich, you can't actually know how much you've got. Can't count it all. But his net worth estimated around 5 billion euro. Then in 2012, he was declared bankrupt. And he is not the only one who's had that from riches to rags, so to speak, experience. He's not the only multimillionaire who's lost everything. And if you listen to adverts, if you don't just blank them out, if you listen to adverts for investment products, remember they always have to state the value of your investments can go down as well as up. Forecasts are not a reliable indicator of future performance. In this world, there is no such thing as a totally secure place for our, our money or our possessions. If you go on some of the, on the forums about where to invest money, where to put your savings, and just read some of the things they say, they're all looking, where can I put it that it's safe? Do you get a good return but it's safe? And really the answer is nowhere. Nowhere that removes that risk or that threat to our, our, our possessions. 
And even if we do everything that we can to protect and to hold on to all of our possessions and all of our money right through our lives, then eventually we will leave it all behind. Because we brought nothing into the world. And we can take nothing out of it. No matter how much money or possessions we have, we can take none of, us, none of it with us. But if we have stored up heavenly treasure, then this isn't a problem because heaven is where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. So whenever we invest in seeking God's kingdom and His righteousness, then that will never be lost. Listen to Paul's confidence here as he writes to Timothy about this. He says this, I know whom I have believed and I'm convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him for that day. No small print in the bottom saying your investment can go down as well as up. Security. Total security. Because God is guarding it. But the problem with earth going after earthly treasure, it's not just that we're going to lose it all eventually. It really has a much greater impact in our lives than that. Jesus said that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. When we treasure earthly possessions, it captures our heart. And it focuses it on this world instead of heaven. And it weighs us down into the thinking of this world. And the attitudes and the ambitions of this world. And its priorities. And this can have a devastating impact on all of our lives. Jesus explained it with an illustration about our eyes. The eye is the lamp of the body. In the sense that it's our eyes that enable us to live in the light. It's our eyes that help us to see things clearly. And to be able to walk through life without bashing into things or falling over. So if our eyes are good, then your whole body will be full of light. If we've got good eyesight, we live in the light. But if your eyes are bad, then your whole body will be full of darkness. Of course... Many blind people cope amazingly well with their lack of eyesight. But no matter what they do, they still can't escape the darkness in which they live. Their darkened vision impacts every aspect of their lives. And so in a similar way, if we seek after earthly treasure, Sorry, if we seek after heavenly treasure and set our minds on things above and not on earthly things, then this will help us to live in the light of God's truth and to fulfill God's purpose for our lives. We'll be able to walk in the light as He is in the light. But if we treasure earthly possessions, if we focus our eyes on the material things of this world and make it our goal to accumulate them and hold on to them, then this is going to darken our vision. It's going to distort our perception of life. 
And it's going to lead us away from God's will. Paul says, people who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. The darkened vision of materialism will distort how we see ourselves because we'll measure our worth by how much we earn or the kind of house we live in, or the kind of car we drive, or the kind of clothes we wear, rather than seeing ourselves as who we are in Christ, as children of God. That darkened vision of materialism will also distort how we see other people. Because we'll treasure things more than people. And we'll value what people can give to us rather than valuing what we can do for them as an expression of love to them. We'll even distort how we look on our kids. As our dreams for our kids will be all about their education and their career and their advancement through life rather than on their character. And their love for and their knowledge of God. And it will distort our appetites and desires. As we continually strive for that new product. Or that shiny upgrade. Because we think that if we just get that thing. Then it will finally satisfy our hearts. And it will distort our work life balance. As we work ourselves to exhaustion in the endless pursuit of more and more and more stuff. And it will even distort our ethics and our morals. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And so those who are caught up in that, they end up doing things or being tempted to do things that otherwise they would never even dream of. And yet it pulls them down into thinking, it's okay. So don't go after earthly treasures. Because they don't last. And it darkens our vision. But you know, that's not the worst. That's not the worst consequence of giving ourselves to earthly treasure. The most serious impact of materialism is that it stops us from serving God. Jesus says, you cannot serve both God and money. Of course, many people try, don't they? We might think that we can serve God at the weekend and money throughout the week. We might think that we can give God his 10% and then spend the rest on our earthly treasures. But Jesus said, it's impossible. No one can serve two masters. God doesn't want just a little bit of our lives. He doesn't want just a percentage of our heart or our time or our devotion. 
He isn't willing to share us with anybody or anything. He loves us far too much for that. And Jesus knows that if we try to serve both him and material possessions, that ultimately those material things will pull us away from him. The God of money is a hard taskmaster. And piece by piece, compromise by compromise, it will pull us away from fellowship with and service from God. And ultimately, we'll end up like the seed that was planted in the weedy soil where the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it making it unfruitful we cannot at the same time store up for ourselves earthly treasure and heavenly treasure and so Jesus calls us to make a wise choice He wants us to refuse to try and keep up with the Joneses. To stand against the influence of this world. Reject the temptation to go after the treasures that this world can offer. Because that treasure isn't worth it. Because it doesn't last. It darkens our vision and it distracts us from the one that we are created for. Instead, Jesus wants us to seek after the treasure of heaven. To grow in our relationship with and likeness to Christ. To serve God passionately with our whole lives. To share His love and His grace and work to draw people into His kingdom. Because He knows that choosing that treasure will bless us. Because it's a treasure that will last forever. It will lead us into the light of God's truth. And it will set us free. To live wholeheartedly for the one who loved us and gave himself for us. So Paul writes this at the end of 1 Corinthians 15. My dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Because you know that your labour in the Lord is not 